Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. To a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. Coming to you today from, from Stormhead, Ireland. It is it's particularly vicious out there. There's, there's rain and there's wind and there's gales and there's downpours and torrents and typhoons and stuff. And the sky is gray and it's cold. And I realize that that is the weather that people associate most often with Ireland. But it's, uh, it's worse than normal out there today which is shit, and I've got to go out in that in a little while, which is also shit. So, basically, fuck you weather, and there you go. I don't know what I expect, in fairness. It's January in Ireland. I mean, it's not shorts and T-shirts country, is it? Why I'm not living somewhere where it's a lot warmer, I, I will never know. I don't quite understand it myself. I used to, and now I'm here. The fuck, how the fuck did that happen? Anyway, anyway, I hope you're well. After what has been a, a quiet enough sort of a week, well, it was quiet until yesterday, and then everything went like crazy mental. We had a, a couple of things go on early in the week uh, relating to the to the transfer window, which was that uh, Yaya Sunogo went on loan to Crystal Palace. Good luck to him there. I hope he scores a load of goals. Really, I do, honestly. I hope he does well there. I think the manager's got some faith in him, so we want him to go there and do well. But, you know, what's what's he going to do with Sonogo and Shemek up front? That's a striking partnership for the ages, that one, isn't it? Yeah. And then we sold uh, Benikafobe. Uh, he was on loan at MK Dons, and he's gone to Wolves. So that's that done. And and nothing much was happening in terms of in terms of what was going on uh, with players coming in, apart from of course the young Polish guy, who's called uh, Christian Bielik. Christian Bielik, Christian Bielik, Bielik, Bielik. I did ask on Twitter, and it's Bielik. And when you put his name into Google, Google Translate, his surname translates as Bald Eagle. So Christian Bald Eagle. I like it. He's only 17. He might have only played eight minutes of first-team football, but he is a bald eagle. And they're pretty awesome. I'm not one for birds in general. I may have explained this before. I don't like the flappiness of them and the talons and the wings and the beaks and the eyes and, and the squawking and kind of being able to see stuff from really high in the sky. I don't like any of it. The only thing I like about birds is eating them. Not bald eagles or swans. I wouldn't eat a swan. I'd say they're 
say they're quite tough, generally speaking, and you're not allowed. It's illegal to eat a swan. It's true. They're magic or something. I don't know why. If you can eat a goose, why can't you eat a swan? If you really wanted to. I don't want to, but, you know, the other birds I'll eat. But uh, I, I like the idea of having the bald eagle as our defensive midfielder. Quite interesting. Wasn't there a player? Was it Attilio Lombardo? Was he known as the bald eagle? I'll have to, I'll have to look this up. Hang on. Ah, uh, yes, I think... Ah, uh, because, yes, of course, he went to Crystal Palace. And Crystal Palace are known as the Eagles, and he didn't have any hair, so he became the bald eagle. It had nothing to do with his beak or his talons or his eyesight when he's a thousand feet in the air soaring above South London. No, it was it was much more prosaic than that. So, uh, yeah, it looks like this young guy is going to be our first signing of the transfer window. We'll get a little bit more on that later on when we talk to our guests. But a 17-year-old defensive midfielder, I watched a YouTube video of him. I know, I know you shouldn't, but I did, and he looked, uh, he looked good in the YouTube video. But then lots of people look good in, in YouTube videos because you only pick the good bits of what they do. Some of the good stuff that he did was, was pretty good, tackled and passed and scored a few, and he's tall, he's six foot two. Maybe he is the answer to all our DM needs. Maybe by the start of next season, he could be the man anchoring our midfield. Because at the moment, well, it's all a bit precarious, a bit up in the air, because, well, Matthew Flamini is Matthew Flamini, and Francis Coquelin, come in, done well. We discussed this in the Arscast Extra on Monday, myself and James, if you want to have a listen back to what we were saying. But basically, uh, while appreciative of what Coquelin has done, and impressed by it because he got a chance that he wasn't expecting and he's well and truly taken it. The general feeling is that we could do better than that again. That, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to cry out for this uh, defensive midfielder, who's going to win us titles and, and uh, drive us towards champions league glory and premier league glory. Is it really Coquelin? I like him. Could be a very handy guy to have around the squad, but maybe not the, the first team guy. And of course, yesterday, Yesterday, everything was calm and nice. And then we got the bad news. Two double whammies of bad news. First one was Mikel Arteta out for three months from now. So we're talking mid-April. He's had to have surgery on a, a bony spur in his ankle. And nobody needs a spur anywhere near them, let alone in their ankle. So that's uh, three months Surgery, the captain gone, and I'm very much of the opinion that, yes, we can get uh, a better uh, deep-lying midfielder than the ones that we have right now. But I'm also of the opinion that Arteta is the best one that we have in the squad right now. And I think we missed him at times this season, and this is, this is a bit of a blow. So whether that means the manager is going to dip into the transfer market or not, I just don't know. But we'll, we'll touch on that as well with our guests when they get on eventually. The other bad news was Matthew Debushi. He too is going to miss three months because of the dislocated shoulder that, that he picked up in the game against Stoke. In a collision with Marco Arnautovic. 
That's the way it was dressed up. Whenever you read a report, it was said uh, there was a coming together or a collision between the two players, as if it wasn't a, a cynical, snide, deliberate push by the Stoke player, which it was. And it's opened up a bit of a debate this week. I was very much of the opinion that Arnautovic should be punished after the fact, but not too many people were interested in that. They sort of said, well, yeah, but what are you going to do? Like, punish every push? And that's a fair point. How do you decide whether or not a player should be punished after the fact? Is it the act or the consequences of the act? It's not an easy one. But in The Independent yesterday, their football editor, Glenn Moore, wrote a very interesting piece about how fellow professionals are putting other players in danger with these uh, pushes from behind. We saw one, for example, in the Manchester United game when I think it was Fellaini pushed Gibbs into Chesney and it ended up with uh, Manchester United scoring because we have players on the ground. Then we have this one with Matthew Debussy as well. And the consequences of that push aren't just a goal, it means that we miss our first choice right back for for the next three months, again, for most of the rest of the season. Far from ideal. So anyway, to talk a little bit about this, because I think this is something worth touching on, I'm joined by the man who wrote that article from The Independent, Glenn Moore. Hi there. Hi. Uh, You wrote a piece yesterday for The the Independent website about uh, pushing and uh, it being an offence that perhaps isn't being taken quite as as seriously as it should be. Arsenal fans very much aware of it because of what happened to Matthew Debushi uh, last weekend. He's out for three months. Marco Arnautovic, the player who gave him the push, is not facing any punishment. And and you think it's um, perhaps something that, that, that football needs to pay a bit more attention to? Yeah, I think it's something that Biz had kept in the game relatively recently. Um, this sort of giving people a nudge, or in some cases a fairly strong shove. When when they're sort of, quite often they're shepherding the ball out of play or they've just got there slightly before you have and so on. And it's a bit of frustration and Biz is giving a bit of a push. It's partly the... Um, the sense in football of you know, letting your opponent know you're there but mm. of course there's some, sometimes there's some pretty unpleasant consequences the Bucci found and if you go back a couple of years remember Gary Cahill getting a push in the back from Drew's Mertens in one of England's warm-up games just before Euro 2012 and um, he, he pushed into Joe Hart broke his jaw and missed the tournament which obviously Martin didn't intend to happen and Martin's was actually boo it didn't intend to happen but these are the possible consequences of these sort of things. You're pushing it back. You don't really ready for it, are you? I mean, that was the thing, obviously, with Debushi because not only was um, he not ready for it, he was also off his feet. So he had no chance of of uh, of, of riding himself in terms of the balance. And, and if there is maybe a bit of bad luck in terms of how he landed and obviously the injury that he suffered, uh, maybe it wouldn't have happened nine times out of ten. But when you get shoved into the advertising hoardings from close range... Even if the opponent says, I didn't mean to hurt you, there has to be an acceptance that your actions are likely to cause some kind of injury. Yes, I think even in rugby union, when you can do quite a lot of things you can't do in football, you're not supposed to actually hit people in the air when they're catching the ball, Mm. for example. But for this obvious reason that you... Your problem's coming down to earth because you're completely off balance and you've been tilted and you can land badly. You know, if you're lucky, you might get to your ankle. I mean, alternatively, it could be a lot worse, like with Debucci. And the other thing, of course, is a lot of these things tend to happen on the touchline, and English grounds in particular are pretty tight. Uh, someone alerted me after my piece to, you can find on YouTube, Graziano Pele. As Abandon getting a nudge from Zabaleta, uh, and this isn't quite as obvious as so, so, something, but in terms of the actual offence, but he narrowly misses the TV camera, which is like sort of 
three or four feet off the pitch. Mm. That could have caused quite significant damage. You guys flying with those at speed, and players move at tremendous speed these days. It's a difficult one to punish, though, isn't it? Or to figure out how to punish. Because if Arnautovic pushed Debussy and he landed badly and got up again and there was no, no injury, people wouldn't really be talking about it. Similarly, if players are being pushed uh, in the middle of the pitch, you know, that happens throughout games without it being um, such, a, such a dangerous situation. So h- how do you go about deciding how to punish things like this? Should it be because of the action or the consequence of the action? Or, or if the referee sees it, are we now opening up the, the door again where the decisions that the referee makes in the game can be overruled afterwards by looking at video evidence? Well, it's extremely rare on the, on the last point for the, for the referee seen it for it to be overruled on video evidence. It, um, it's got to be really extreme stuff like Ben Thatcher um, with Pedro Mendes a few years ago. You may remember where he absolutely mm. whacked him. Um, I'm not quite sure the referee saw it or not, but it's very rare these days. For If the referee says he's seen it like he did with Dabucci, it's very rare for the referee to overrule in those circumstances. If he says he's got a clear view of it, there's a one not that long ago, wasn't there, with... Um, uh, Wigan, um, where Hydera of Newcastle got his leg broken in a bad tackle and the referee in a poor position but said he, he said he'd seen it. Um, so you can't really do it. Uh, the FA probably won't intervene if the referee said he's seen it. You can't really punish people on the consequences either because, I mean, I know this does happen in some cases. I mean, like his driving would be an obvious example outside of football. But generally, uh, people in football should be punished on the offence rather than the consequences. That isn't actually what happens in a lot of cases because quite often a player will be found in the penalty area. If he doesn't go down, he doesn't get a penalty because you're mm-hmm. why people dive. Um, but again, it's not all immediately obvious. That plays bad injuries, is it? I mean, the Bucci went off, and if you, you can't really book him five minutes later when you first go, his shoulder's gone. Um, but what you could do, to start with, is actually just booking people in the first place. Mm. <laughs> because you know, if you push on over the penalty area, it's a penalty. I mean, as it happens, pushes in, pushes in the back don't happen very much on the pitch in the general run of play. It tends to be more shoulder charge side to side when people are pushing the ball, not so much someone getting in front of somebody and getting a shove in the back when they're not really... Uh, it's, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit sneaky, it's cowardly. Mm. Um, that's less common. That tends to happen on a situation where someone starts shepherd the ball out of play or shepherd it back to a goalkeeper or, or one of those sort of circumstances. The guy behind is just basically frustrated and decides, well, I'll let him know I'm there. Yeah. Sort of thing. Uh, actually, in, in the match, there aren't that many times. There is. It's a, it's a free kick every time, you know, in theory, in the match, and it can be a booking if it's in an area where. You know, around the goal and stuff like that. So, referee, well, because it sort of happens, uh, you know, on the halfway line and out of, referee sort of tend to ignore it. And you can do it with referees being told, well, start booking them. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you can do it with the PFA, I mean, much so the PFA will get involved as well. Instead of some of the campaigns they do, this is members jeopardising the lives of other members. They should send a little reminder around saying, this mm. isn't really on that. It's, you know, it's a, it's a bit underhand. If, for example, we look at the Debussy one, it happened very quickly. Referee might have seen the two players come together, wasn't necessarily convinced. But when you look look at the the incident afterwards if you look at it with video uh, evidence you can see that there was it was a quite deli- quite deliberate push that maybe that's not uh, a view that the referee might have had even if he saw it he might not have seen exactly what it was but you think it's probably down more to the to the PFA to tell players to be a bit more responsible well, I think that would certainly help. I mean, it's always down to referees punishing it when they see it. I mean, in my understanding, genuinely, is the FA, you know, quite sometimes will send them a, a tape, you know, of the incident. Say, did you see this? You know, and the referee 
referees often say, yeah, I did, you know, but sometimes, very rarely, they sort of admit, actually, no, I didn't, I wasn't in my position, or someone got my view, and therefore, you can go ahead and find it. Referees tend not to like admitting they made mistakes is half the problem. Mm. So they'd rather stick with the decision they made on the day, and they might have seen a push and not appreciate the seriousness of it, and then it become we're moving into a slight grey area where we have a pair to sort of say, well, I didn't really appreciate it. Uh, it was just bad, which is basically saying, I got it wrong, and they don't like doing that very often. No, that is very true. All right, look, we'll leave it there. Glenn Moore from The Independent, thank you very much. I know I said it on the blog, but I'm very much of the opinion that Arnautovic should have faced some kind of punishment for what happened to Debussy. It was a sly foul. And if the referee saw it and didn't act on it, that speaks volumes about the referee too. But then we've been down this world before with referees this season in particular. Uh, So I guess we'll just have to, uh, we'll just have to live with it. The fact that Debussy's out for three months, but look, it's okay. It's all right. Arnautovic made a badly spelled apology on Facebook. So, who are we to criticise? All right, joining me now on the Arscast, I'm joined by two uh, very well-respected gentlemen in their in their fields. What field that is, I don't quite know. First up, the man from East Lower. Hello. Hello. I thought you were going to say dotage there. No. No, no. No. Come on. You know me, you know me better <laughs> than that. That comes next. That, yes, indeed. Nicely segued to Gunnar Hollick. Hello. Hello there, Blogs. Thanks for inviting me again. Uh, no problem. Uh, Jim, can I start with you? Mm-hmm. And, and and put it to you that this particular January, with Arsenal having loaned out two strikers, lost two important players for three months through injury, Matthew Debushi and Mikel Arteta, yet to sign anybody for the first team, with all our efforts going seemingly into the capture of a 17-year-old Polish lad who probably won't play till next season, that this is the most Arsenal January transfer window of all time. I think I think you've I think you've absolutely hit it on the head there. It's it's perfect. I mean, it really it really has been scripted by Ivan Gazidis. So, Ivan, yeah, Ivan, yeah. Ivan Gazidis. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's epically Arsenal, isn't it? And uh, and the best thing about it is we've got to about what is it the fifteenth, so halfway through or thereabouts, and. Um, uh, and of course, you now think, "Wow, yeah, he's got 15 days. He'll still do it. He'll still do it." And you know what? He might not. <laughs> he just might not. So yeah, it's brilliantly Arsenal. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hollick, he said today that he's you're working day and night looking for one or two players uh, <laughs> to bring in. Um, <laughs> you know, we've been down this road once or twice before, all of us, you yeah. guys there, and uh, me, and everyone listening. You know, we, we've, we've done this. Why, you know, why, why don't we ever learn? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. And you're saying that we're sitting here fully expecting that they will go out and get a couple of players because it's it has to happen, surely, when you've lost another two today for the long term. Um, but you look at who's being spoken about at the moment. Love the fact that we're signing promise. But, you know, a 17-year-old Polish lad, is that what we really need for the last five months of this season, last four months of this season? Don't know. It'd be uh, mighty good to see someone with a little bit more experience and who brings a little more steel to the centre of the defence and the back, the back of the midfield as well. Mm. I mean, you, you talk about... Um you know the, the 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 likelihood of it happening, or, or that to us it seems common sense that that this will happen. Um, you know, do do you feel personally that it's you know in the wake of the two injuries in particular to Debussy and Arteta, 
you know, two guys, experienced players who would have uh, played a key role between now and, and the end of the season in May. Um, does that make signings even more important, even if we're, they're not necessarily going to be in the positions that, that, uh, that those guys have vacated because we do have cover? Yeah, it's a great big yes on that. Absolutely has to be for me because losing uh, a fullback as good as Debushi, uh, you're now looking at Callum Chambers, who's having issues after a good solid start. He's having issues now as one potential cover for him, but also having to cover the central positions, as is Nacho Monreal, who may be needed at left back because Gibbs is not, his fitness is not assured. You've got young Bellerin can play, but it, it's all looking a little bit threadbare there isn't it with Arteta out long term good that we've got Francis Coughlin back but again is Francis Coughlin the player you want for the next four months now you're getting to the pointed end of the season I think the two injuries may have changed the way that we approach the window I think it would have been another window where Arsene might have bought if he could find the players he thought he needed but I think what we might do now is we might see... I'm dreading to name names, and I don't want to drag up awful memories from the past, but maybe defensively in the midfield, someone along the lines of, not him specifically, but Kim Kallstrom last season, short-term, bit of experience as cover. So maybe a centre-half in the, dread to say it, Sylvester mode. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I think that their hand may be forced yeah. to take what's available rather than what they want. Jim, we know that Arsenal as a football club uh, is super meticulous, well-planned, well-organised, well-drilled when it comes to transfers. It's like a well-oiled machine. Nothing can set it off. So if we accept that premise, ludicrous and all as it is, uh, that, that perhaps in the summer there are targets or people that the manager might have identified for the summer, does that make his job more difficult now in January because the need is there now? In the sense that, you know, if he wants, let's say, throwing the name out there, and I'm not sure if he does or he doesn't, but let's say he wants Schneiderlin from, from Southampton. In the summer, it would be probably relatively easy to to do that deal. In January, not so much because, well, Southampton could dig their heels in. They're on course for their best season in ages. Are they going to sell a player in January? They dug their heels in last summer and wouldn't let him go either. So they'd be doubly like that in, in January too. So how does he how does he balance that? the needs that he has with the also the desire to bring in certain players uh, at a more appropriate time if that makes sense it does make yeah it does it does make sense um i think it's, it's, i think it is harder to do business at this time of year we all know that and it's not like he hasn't done it before you know with reyes and um and what Walcott, I think, wasn't he at this time of year um so he he can do it and has done it and uh it is a tricky one though because um yeah, because because I don't suppose, I don't you know we've we've bought a forty million pound player one summer and we've bought a thirty two million and I don't think I don't really think that's the kind of thing we can keep just doing every transfer window. It doesn't you know we're not we don't have bottomless bottomless pockets. So um, I think that kind of deal is severely unlikely. Uh, so yeah, it, it is a tricky one. It's a tricky one for Wenger. Um, you know, look, last January he brought in someone who didn't have a functioning back. So um, you know that, that's about as, that's about as good as it got last time. And you know with 
it, it, it's that's why we're also cynical about it because a the market is tough very very tough uh, unless you're buying sort of you know in the sort of 40 million pound or 30 million pound bracket and b we just know what Wenger's like so yeah. um uh, the, the, the danger, of course, as we all know, is that if you wait till the summer to get the one that you really, really, really want, we might uh, we might have come fifth by then, or something. You know, you just don't know, do you? So yeah. it's it's a, it's a very, very tricky it's a very tricky scenario. But you know, one that is eminently avoidable had had we started the season with um, with a bit more balance. But you know, we've been through this a million times with a megaphone, and uh, and it didn't happen. We so certainly have, yeah. He's made it hard for himself. And actually, you know, the, the point you made about um, suddenly you got two more, defi- um, two more injuries, uh, you know, and if he now gets four... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It goes into the market. People will probably say, "Oh, he was forced into it. He wouldn't have done it anyway." But he was forced into it because of that. So he's sort of—he uh, he can't win. And he, you know, doesn't matter what he does, he probably can't win. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I get that. But I mean, there's—I suppose he could be a bit more decisive at times. Um, I mean, last season, if if we're looking at where Arsenal were last January, I could be mistaken, but I think we we're top of the table. And mm-hmm. everyone said, "Do it. Do what you need to do to make sure that we, you know, keep that title challenge running." So if he didn't, if he didn't buy, if he brought in a man with no back to to try and bolster a title challenge, yeah. what makes us think that he's going to do more this year just to get top four, which is about as good as we can hope for? Well, I, I suppose uh, that's probably the target he was that he sets himself minimum, uh, or, or he's set for him. Who knows? And um, and the sort of ramifications of not getting it much as I hate the fact that it is a sort of, you know, something that people aspire to over winning the cup, for example, but that is a fact. So, um, and next summer it would be even harder to do deals and keep players if we, if we didn't get in, in it. So, um, it has massive knock on effects and maybe for his own, his own position too, you know, ultimately. Right. Um, so, uh, it's, it's, it seems to me a logical thing to do. I suppose what, you know, we could say here is it is only the 15th of January or the, you know, and, and ultimately, uh, something might happen, <laughs> but um, we, we have been here before. Mm. Yes, we have. Okay, well, look, uh, you know, we're trying to second guess a man who you can't third or fourth or fifth guess. So who knows what, what might go on between now and, and February the second when the window closes? Holika uh, Mikel Arteta. Um, when we talk about injuries, 
one of the things that frustrates people, I guess, is the is the management of, of certain injuries. And you, you can legislate for things like the Debushi incident, where um, a, a sly foul has caused him to injure himself or be injured badly. And Jack Wilshire, for example, a nasty tackle put him out for a long time. But Mikel Arteta has been in and out of the team since the start of the season uh, with calf problems. And now we find out that it's because of a, a bony spur in his ankle, and that's been causing an imbalance, and that's what's causing all these these muscle problems. Um, is that a frustration for you that this wasn't found sooner? I can't believe that it wasn't found sooner, but you know, it's uh, uh, they've obviously made a decision earlier when it happened for the first time that it was something that it, would they lose him for three months now? Do they take the chance? Do they carry on bringing him back when the calf has died down? And that's probably what's happened. And so the second time it's happened. What's surprising me is the length of time between him being ruled out injured and having the operation mm. when it is at least the second time it's happened this season. Third so, time, I think. Yeah, I'm going to say. I, I think, actually, I thought I remembered the third one as well. But uh, in terms of we've probably lost two or three weeks on in that respect, that's a surprise and a disappointment. But the rest, no. I, I, I would trust the management of the injury on the basis that they thought it was going to get better. Mm. Uh, in terms of what we're going to miss now, uh, with, with our Ted out of the team, the captain, uh, and still a very important player, in my opinion. Mm, absolutely. And do you notice it? Actually, it's it's interesting that when Flamini has been left to do the role on his own, he kind of comes in for a lot of stick. He's not the player he's been this season, that's for sure. And that um, Coquelin returning in there has given us something of an improvement. I don't think there's much doubt. But you don't realise, as with so many players, how useful they are in what they do until they're missing. And Arteta is kind of the archetypal one there. You, Arsenal look a different side when he's not there, although that's not a role he's particularly comfortable in, mm. but it's one he gets away with. Jim, um, in the absence of Arteta, I suppose it means more chances for, for Coquelin. Uh, he's come back from loan on Charlton where... I think if we're being brutally honest, he was probably going to spend more than just a couple of months if everybody had stayed fit. But, of course, they didn't. He's come back. He's taken his chance. Um, how have you viewed the way that he's done that? And are you confident that after displays against Stoke and Hull, which were very impressive, that he could have the same impact against Manchester City, for example, on, on Sunday? Well, I mean, on, on a sort of... On on a primary level it's it's a really nice football story isn't it that someone who was pretty pretty much on the you know as you say out out the exit door to all intents and purposes and may yet be in the summer um has come back and and really acquitted himself fantastically well better than anybody could have thought i think um and it was a bit of a desperate thing it was well at least happened under the radar anyway so um He's done extremely well. He's, a, you know, he's a, a, bit, a bit of an accident waiting to happen in terms of, of tackling, but his energy is great. His, um, he sort of it gives us a sort of tenacity and and uh, doesn't try to get forward too much. So he's been great so far. Whether he can do it, well, it's, it, it's um, you know, it, it's a, it is a really big if, isn't it? But uh, it, it's if it, it's a really weird one because if he does go through the rest of the season and let's say he puts in a great performance against Man City and other bigger bigger teams. Then you kind of wonder how how 
how he sort of slipped under the radar in the first place. You know, it's, it's, it's a strange thing to come back and perform, perform really well when you were pretty much dead and gone. So um, I think if we're being realistic, um, he probably won't perform as well against those teams because, you know, he is um, he's a young player and a little bit more limited maybe. Um, but it would be great if he did. And... Uh, I suppose we will only know on we will only know at the end of the weekend, won't we? Yeah, I mean, I get, will you keep him in the side for Sunday? Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah I would actually. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think there's a lot to be said for playing players on form and and not on um, and not on reputation. So I, I would keep him in. Yeah, I would as well. Yeah, I absolutely would as well. And I'll tell you why. It's a great opportunity for him to make a name for himself against Manchester City because Yaya Toure is not going to be on the other side for starters. So this is... They do uh, have other good players in there. They though. have one or two, I yeah. think, yeah. But, uh, you know, Yaya Toure could have beasted him. Uh, and now that, uh, I, I hope he plays, I hope he does well. Um, but I hope that he's not seen as the answer for the next four months. Uh, sticking with you, Hollick, a man who made a comeback. Uh, if we've been touching on the bad injury news, we might as well um, touch on some of the, the, the good injury news or the lack of injury news, and that's Mesut Ozil. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people have remarked on his physique since he's come back, that there was uh, perhaps a, a feeling during the 18 months before he got injured that he was a little waifish. Would that be a good way of putting it? That You know, he was a bit slight, knocked off the ball a bit too easily by players that he shouldn't even really have been knocked off the ball by. But when he came on against um, Stoke on Sunday, you know, he's, he's a bit more, a bit buff now. He's not um, a bit more, he's a lot more. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, is that, not not that an injury uh, an injury can be a blessing in disguise or, or anything like that, but maybe there's a, a, a thing that you can make the most of the time that you're out. And he seems to have done that uh, in in terms of, of getting himself more physically uh, ready for English football. And you could kind of understand it, given the injury that he had, you could understand him bulking up the upper half of his body, yeah. which he certainly needed to do. But it's also, I mean, there's a noticeable difference in his legs as well. Uh, so he's done a lot of recent work since he's become more mobile. And yes, I'm guessing that that was a deliberate ploy. Arsene Wenger hinted at it last weekend, if I remember rightly. I saw somewhere about it. And it's, it's always a strange one to me. I don't understand why a player can perform in Spain. When I watch some of the big games in Spain, albeit on television, there are some tackles there that, you, particularly in the, the derby matches, where you think, well, you know, why on earth has he not been found out before? Or, mm. or is it just a, you know, a foreigner abroad thing? He's, he's struggled to get to grips with the way that things are going on. I don't know that. I don't buy that he was too slight for the English game, but I do absolutely, I'm heartily congratulate him on the work that he's obviously done. He did look completely different on Sunday, and let's hope that that now he's ready to make his mark over it. Mm. The the place in the team, Jim, is going to be interesting because he's most effective where Santi Cazorla has been playing at the moment, and Santi Cazorla has been Alexis aside probably our best player over the last four to six weeks is uh, you know he had some struggles early in the season um his, his finishing was off but you know his all-round play over the last you know month month and a half has been absolutely fantastic so mm. how does the manager get the two of them into the side or does he get the two of them into the side does he does he revert to that formation that he used at the start of the season that didn't really prove that effective it's it's not an easy one 
It's not an easy one, and if we're you know on on the same basis as Coughlin, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't put him in the team, Ozil, to be honest. I think I think you play the players who are playing well. Cazorla is having a fantastic uh, run of form, and I would not upset the apple cart. Uh, his form, Ozil's, before he got injured, was was, you know, was terrible. So, frankly, so um, uh, and I know he's I know he's come back refreshed and, and looks and that's great. Mm. But at the moment, I don't think it's. Um, I certainly wouldn't bring him straight back in. Uh, I think that would be risky. Um, so uh, at the moment, it's not an issue. Going down, you know, may, maybe um, uh, you know, in, in a week or two, it's one of those things that actually it's just a, a pleasure to be able to play one player one game and one another. And maybe because Cazorla might need a break at some point, and you know, there's there's room for both, but perhaps not. I certainly wouldn't put Ozil on the left. Cazorla is less effective on you know out on the wing as well. So for this weekend, I just, I would have Ozil on the bench personally. Yeah, I think that I think that's the way I'd approach it too. Theo Walcott, Holick. Um, struggling perhaps to find his uh find his rhythm a little bit in terms of uh in terms of his comeback because you know he came back in november maybe the end of october actually and picked up that groin injury by going away with england and in the uh, in the couple of games that he's had we've seen some some moments but not much more there was a, a great chance for him to score against stoke and he made a bollocks of it really mm-hmm. uh, regardless of how long he's been out he should he should have been doing better there but i mean is that just something that's going to come with games uh, you have to say so, don't you? There were a couple against Hull as well, if you remember. Um, but all he's got two sort of an hour against Hull and was it 20, 25 minutes on Sunday under his belt? Yes, with, the more he plays, the better it's got to be. The more he's, chance he's got to work on his finishing and training, then hopefully he's going to get that one that he puts away and everything will come back, snap back into place for him. I'm really looking forward to seeing him playing alongside Alexi Sanchez if they can find some way I personally would start Alexis on the right and, and Theo on the left where he did a lot of good work when he was developing at Southampton Theo on the uh, left yeah if you That's... have a look at his early days at Southampton he scores a lot of goals coming in from the left hand side yeah um, never really played scored. there for us though has he no, he hasn't. Once, once or twice, maybe. But yeah. yeah it's, uh, no, I agree. It's, uh, but I, I wouldn't. Where else would you put Alexis? Um, I know that at the moment he's kind of forced. With, if Oliver Giroud gets banned again, he's forced to play in the middle. But well, I, he, I wouldn't have him anywhere else. At he the played. Moment. He played on the left, didn't he? Really against um, against Stoke. Uh, they were kind of mixing, weren't they? Yeah, mixing I think that's been a factor, though, of this uh, of this year, where where the the two wide players tend to drift across and change. Um, even Walcott, when he came on, uh, or against Hull, I think played a little bit on the on the left hand side from time to time. So maybe that's just a. A deliberate uh, tactic. Uh, keep by things. the way, I think we talked about that and we were touching on that in the last topic because if you're going to get Gazola and Ozil into the same team, then it has to be that they are, if not fixed centre and left, then interchanging themselves so that both of them get an opportunity to influence the game. Mm. I think that's one, one way that you could f- put two of them in the same side. Yeah. Uh, Jim, goalkeeping situation. Just We'll touch on this very quickly before we leave it. Um, Wojciech Szczesny dropped for the game against Stoke. Mm-hmm. To your mind, was that to do with form or discipline? Uh Probably disciplined, to be honest. He made two absolute howlers, as we know. But um, I think had he not been caught behind the bike sheds, uh, he probably would have played through it. And, and if he'd maybe made another mistake, might have been th- you know then given a breather. But um, no, it was. It, I'm sure it was dis- a disciplined thing with him. Um, yeah, I, I, I 
I would again. I'm, I sort of um, err towards having him back in straight away, to be honest, because um, it's not exactly the. I mean, it's a bit stupid and certainly a bit tactless and naive, but it's not exactly the worst crime in the world. So I'd have him back in. Uh, I think Espino's um, done all right, but uh, Chesney has a bit more presence in you know, in my mind. So I'd, I'd, I'd bring him back in. Does sitting out one game is that sufficient punishment? Does that teach him any kind of a lesson? Well, I mean, like I said, I don't think it's the worst crime in the world. Uh, it's a bit stupid, um, and he's a bit, you know, a bit too full of himself. By all, you know, but in the end, it, it, a lot of worse things happen, and, and um, so uh, I'm not, I'm not massively fussed by it. So I would bring it back in. If, if Moore's gone on behind the scenes and he's kind of upset, you know, upset players, and he's been a bit more of a dick, then that's thing is cool, isn't it? But yeah. it's not. I don't think it's, it's not exactly the biggest crime in the world. You know, 20 years ago, they'd all have been smoking in the dressing room anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd I, I'd bring him back in. He's more. He's got more Premier League experience. He's more more of a presence. So that that would be my call. Hollick. Uh, I have to say, I would err on the other side. I think when you've got a goalkeeper, all right, not been the two most difficult matches because neither Hull nor Stoke mustered much of a threat. But ospina has got two uh, clean sheets behind him. Clearly, there are issues with Wojciech. He needs to learn his lesson. He has responded well to challenges in the past. Last season, I thought the way he responded to the challenge of Fabianski was excellent, and it was his best season. I, I see him improving again, but for right now, after what's gone on, I don't think Ospina deserves to be dropped until he makes that mistake, and then it's time for Wojciech to show I'm knuckling down and I'm going to make this shirt my own. All right, well, we'll see what happens on Sunday. Hopefully whoever's in goal can keep a, another one of those very nice clean sheets. Gunnar Hollick, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Blogs. And the man from East Lower. Thank you. You know where to find both of those gentlemen, but if you don't, you can get the man from East Lower at eastlower.co.uk or at East Lower on Twitter. Gunnar Hollick is at the Gunnar Hollick on Twitter or at gunnarholic.co.uk. Go follow, go read, do all those things. We're going to look ahead very briefly to the Manchester City game with some team news and what have you right after this. Join us as we take another enchanting adventure into the world of the angriest man on Twitter. Oi, Winger, when are you going to do something about all the injuries we've got? Nothing is more prejudicial to our chances of winning trophies than people being injured all the time. We need all our players fit and healthy for all the games that are to come between now and the end of the season. Mikel Arteta, injured for three months. Good. He's shit anyway. Next week, another madcap laugh-a-minute romp with the angriest man on Twitter. Everything is shit. Right then, something of a test this weekend against Manchester City because, well, they're a very good team. Champions, of course, still. And, um place that holds some unhappy memories for us. I don't necessarily equate that 6-3 with the the games at Chelsea and the game at Anfield. They don't, they're not the same. It didn't feel the same. It was more of a crazy mental game. I mean, we scored three for a start, and it wasn't like we were being battered 
um, you know, 3 or 4 nil after a few minutes. wasn't like that at all. It ended up with a crazy scoreline, but it wasn't quite the same. Nevertheless, it goes down as something of a black mark on our season, 6-3. Uh, a bit weird. Um, in terms of the team we've got to put out, obviously, there's no Matthew Debushi gone for three months, as we've, uh, as we've discussed. No Mikel Arteta. Aaron Ramsey should be back. Uh, Kieran Gibbs, he could be back again. Arsene Wenger said Gibbs will be training with the squad on Friday, and we see how he goes from there. His news is positive. No Danny Welbeck, though. So that means, I guess, Olivier Giroud is going to start in the middle uh, of the uh, forward positions. Alexis maybe on the left. Oxlade-Chamberlain on the right, or Theo Walcott? I would stick with Oxlade-Chamberlain. I just have a feeling that at some point it's going to click for him. He's come really close to scoring a few times in the last few weeks. His overall play has been really good, even if he's been a bit hampered by injury. Uh, and I just feel that if he gets a goal under his belt, it'll, it'll, really start to, it'll really start to happen for him. And I think he offers a bit more all-round to our play than Theo Walcott does right now. And, you know, Theo from the bench might well be a very nice option, as is Mesut Ozil from the bench. I don't think he's quite ready to start away from home against Manchester City, even if he is looking all buff and, and, and I don't know another word for buff, muscly. Not quite muscly, but less not muscly so there uh, but he hasn't had a huge amount of playing time it was good to get him on the pitch against Stoke but again if it's a, if it's a game that we need to change having those genuine options on the bench will be able to do that goalkeeping situation I think he'll stay with Ospina I would be minded to bring back Chesney I agree with the man from East Lower about him as a goalkeeper overall but I think having made that decision last weekend uh, Arsene Wenger isn't going to bring Chesney back straight away I just don't think if it's for disciplinary reasons sticking him on the bench for one game is quite punishment enough. So I think we'll see Ospina. And uh, I guess it's going to be Chambers at right back rather than, than Bellerin, depending on who uh, City play on the left-hand side. I don't know. You'd like to see you'd like to see uh, Bellerin have a go at Clichy, though they probably won't play Clichy. They'll play that the collar off if he's available. Could be injured for all I know. But he's a monster. So... Chambers against Kolarov probably a little bit better than Kolarov against Bellerin. That would be that would be the fear there. Uh, City a fantastic side. The game uh, that we played against them in September could have won it, should have won it, in fact, but also could easily have lost it. It was a weird, weird game. Uh, fantastic game of football. That brilliant goal from Alexis, which uh, remains my favorite of all the goals that he scored so far this season. Does he have it? Can he trouble their back line? He's troubled pretty much everybody else. So let's hope he can do that. And I don't know, there was just maybe something in the performance against Stoke that there was just a little bit more confidence, a little bit more swagger, some tricks and flicks and things that came off um, that suggest maybe there's enough confidence there to give uh, City a bit of a game on Sunday. If we have Koscielny, Mertesacker, most of our back four uh, intact, who knows? Who knows? I know people have got a lot of fear, obviously, because, well, our record against the big teams isn't that great. I just have a feeling about this game. I said this on the Arsenal America podcast as well today when I was recording with Chris. I've got a feeling. And now everyone's going to come back to me on Monday morning after it goes all wrong and go, yeah, yeah you and your feelings. But, hey, I didn't, I'm not necessarily saying it's a good feeling. It's just a feeling. So we'll see. 
We'll see what happens. Uh, we will be here, myself and James, on Monday with the Arscast Extra to discuss everything that goes on uh, on Sunday in Manchester, good or bad, hopefully good, hopefully good. So we'll keep fingers crossed for that. Talk to you on Monday and, of course, on next week's Arscast. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. The next part of the tour is the Arsenal Medical Room. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure you're all very much aware that what goes on in there is extremely important for the game this weekend. We need to get everybody fit and ready, so I need to ask you to be very quiet because we don't want to disturb the medical staff and the important work that they do. So I'm just going to go over here very quietly and open the door and you can take a brief glimpse behind the scenes. to see the room where we make the special sauce for Tottenham lasagna. Follow me. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.